0: Hello, sports historians. Welcome to another episode of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. We hope you're enjoying the uninterrupted series. They are getting such a great response. We're going to keep them coming. This time it's Jimmy Jr. uninterrupted. Yes, indeed. The Hall of Fame ring announcer who was there when Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson in Tokyo, when Tyson ate part of Evander Holyfield's face, when Tupac was shot in Las Vegas. This is recorded on January 28th, so here's 90 minutes straight with the world's greatest ring announcer. It's Jimmy Jr. Uninterrupted. Want to make sure we're up, I will. up and going. What, what a, a nice uh, stand. stand. You know, um, they're really nice to me. The, the Craig Impleman that you saw interviewed, mm-hmm. um, he and then... Um, Lynn Guerin, who does a John R. Wooden course, uh, they got together and they control most of Wooden's archives. And so um, I've known parts of them for years and so forth, but they sat down and they um, just believed in what I was doing and said I had access to all the archives, however I wanted to use them.
1: Isn't that nice?
0: And, and those archives are fantastic. You can do this word search on the backside of, the, um, of the either Wooden's Wisdom or John R. Wooden, and so you just search adversity. And everything... He did in interviews, videos, whatever it might be, all, that all come up, and so we've been able to incorporate that into, you know, our opens and stuff. And
1: I got to tell you something. <clears throat> so John Wooden invited my dad to a football game, a Rams game. Oh wow! Yes, and so my dad invited me to come along, so I went along with him, no and way. it was just unbelievable. And I'm sitting, you know, next to John Wooden in the car, next to him in the game. We're talking about, you know, wow. his early basketball career, just chatting. And sure, I had respect for him, but you know, I didn't have the appropriate respect. <laughs> well, yeah. and I'm a you know a young teenager, yeah. and I'm going to to uh, I think it was Lincoln Junior High at the time. And so I said to my buddy, "I know John Wooden, and I know where he lives." <laughs> <laughs> and so I brought my and he said, "No, you didn't." I said, right. "Yes, I do." So I brought him over to his apartment, Wait, and I knocked on his door, <laughs> and <laughs> he answered. <laughs> 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 And I realized at that point, this was really inappropriate, what I was doing. And and so I kind of said, hi, and, you know. Did he remember? Nice to see you. Did he remember you? Yeah, well, I introduced myself as Jimmy Lennon, And he goes, oh, sure, son, okay. Yeah, Yeah, he was nice, but it was so inappropriate. (laughs) I expected him to invite me in for tea or something. I don't know. know. Like one of our uncles,
0: like, hey. Yeah, (laughs) like we rolled right up. You know, I I was doing this, uh, promoting a big volleyball tournament in the blacktop of St. Mark's School. Mm. and i wanted him to be our guest of honor and i don't know mm. how i got a hold of his phone number but i did and this is late in his life and so i called and i expected somebody to pick up and then i was going to go through my thing and he picked up hello i panicked oh, and I hung up. oh you're kidding i did i just panicked like i never panic at that stuff i really don't care but i was so i said wow was... and then i called back i said coach i'm sorry that was me that hung up and then I explained, he said, oh, that's very nice of you, but it's my birthday this weekend, so I'll be, I'll be weird with, with my family. Yeah, uh, He's funny. such a
1: nice guy. Yeah, I think I panicked too, but uh, <laughs> uh, certainly that's one the of best. the men that I most respect.
0: Yes. Um, know, and uh, for me, a lot of times he kind of fit in with the uncles because, you know, growing up like you and I did, we had such respect for like, you know, it starts with Uncle Jack and works its way down, and you had such respect for the uncles in our family that um, I always looked at him. and Was like, man, mm. like he's he kind of like them, buddy. Yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I agree. So you know, I was kicking around, um, and and I'll try to remember to call you Jimmy Junior or Jimmy. Call well, I me mean, anything you for, like. For me, Jamie is uh, sure. is how we grew up, right? Yeah. And I was thinking, I was like, man, I wonder where Jamie and I would have first met. Like, it might have been at our, like Uncle Mox's Easter egg hunt, or you know, we're just little kids doing this. Or a thing. Christmas
1: party, I don't know. Yeah.
0: I So but that's where I first remember you from mm. is Christmas parties because um me coming in and being clearly intimidated by how good musically the family was. So mm-hmm. Lennon Brothers would get up and and do something and then the Lennon sisters and then the older cousins would do like Crosby Stills Nash stuff and then Venice could do this. And then you would get up, and I remember you could play classical piano like no man alive. And I used to be so impressed. I would be like, "Whoa, he can hang with these people." <laughs> I was like, "Go, Jamie!" And it, and it gave me a whole like appreciation, you know, for classical music by he- hearing what you did. And wow, well, how long did you study that for?
1: Not very long. I I, I kind of took it up quickly and faded out. So when it came to our Christmas parties, uh-huh. I had one or two songs in my repertoire, and that was it. <laughs> the same <laughs> thing every off? year. Oh, yeah. Wow. But I appreciate you saying that because, you know, for for me, those Christmas parties, I was so intimidated by everyone else, and I was just, I mean, enjoying it, loving it, but, like, you know, I can't believe the talent that, that I'm seeing. And every year it seemed like so, someone new who I hardly knew would come up and blow us all away. What, didn't it, though? Uh, it was amazing. And... You know, no, I, I'm with you. I was i I'm a little bit intimidated by the talent in the family. Very proud of it, but it's like, wow, you know, these guys are good. I don't know if
0: there was two maybe Christmas says that myself, Tommy Blazer, was another cousin, and uh somebody else had to get up and represent the non musically talented Lennons <laughs> and sing a Christmas carol. Just so that everybody <laughs> could go, hmm. Yep. Hmm. Yep. So, really, you think they're family, do you? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, born in 1958. Yes. You, um, I'll I'll give you your first quiz question. Oh, who was the uh, heavyweight champ then? Ooh, I don't know. Let's okay. see. 58.
1: Let's see like that? Job, oh, yeah. That's right that's pretty, out. Right uh, out, Jamie. That's pretty good. <laughs> you should have told me. I should have prepped on this. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let's see. Sunny. It wasn't Sunny Liston. It would be before Sunny Liston. Mm-hmm. Um, Jersey Joe Walcott. Good, good try. He's yeah. right in there. Floyd Patterson. Floyd Patterson. Okay. Yep. Of course. North
0: Carolina. Yeah. He was, um, I only knew of him because I was always so interested in the Olympics. Mm. And so I'd always study back on whoever yeah. won in the Olympics to kind of. Yeah. And I was always fascinated with him because I think he won in Helsinki as like a middleweight or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then Cassius Clay, who of course became Muhammad Ali, had won in Rome. And I was always impressed. I don't know why. I was always so impressed like I felt like that was almost more prestigious than winning the heavyweight title was winning a gold medal.
1: Yeah, and a lot of fighters say that. They are, mm. they say, yeah, there's nothing like winning the gold medal. You know, they have that as a young kid the chance to travel internationally and beat all the best in the world at the time. So, yeah, yeah it is the pinnacle for many.
0: Now you um you just mentioned uh, Lincoln Middle Mm. Where did you go to um, elementary school?
1: So I went to Madison Elementary School in Santa Monica. Then we mm-hmm. moved, and I went to uh, Franklin Elementary, mm. Lincoln Junior High, Samo High, UCLA. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: And do you remember? Um, did you play sports at all, or did you have a you know any um, buddy like outside
1: of the family that kind of
0: influenced your love of sports?
1: You no, know, you know, I think like much of our family, I grew up just watching sports, loving it, playing mm-hmm. it with my buddies. I was pretty small in uh, in junior and senior high school, mm. and I remember playing basketball like one-on-one with some on the basketball team, and I couldn't make it, but I could beat them, but I was not good, uh, mm. you know, real good, good enough to, to, I don't think, make a team. and, and uh, But I love sports always, every week, you always. know, play baseball. You know, throw baseballs back and forth, footballs, get together on some four-on-four football in the fields. And... Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, uh, and you know, volleyball. Love, love volleyball. Our family was uh, so fun
0: to grow up in because you had this built-in set of cousins, so you always could get a game going. But um, <clears throat> when, we, when we talk about, like, you know, I want to talk about uh, Uncle Jim, your father, my Uncle Jim, um, a little bit. Because one of the, my great memories is the big fights would come up. Hagler Hearns, something like that, and we go over to Uncle Ted's house, mm-hmm. and we go down in that den, and there would be 50 people yeah. down in that den, and Uncle Ted would go, now, quiet, <laughs> if, if i got to tell you a second time, I'm going to ask you to go outside, I want to hear the announcers, you know, <laughs> the whole thing, he would lay down the law, but then Uncle Jim would come out, and inevitably, I'd be like, yes, Uncle Jim, we were so
1: proud, I was like, Uncle Jim, right in the middle, holding down. You know, I, Well, i got to say, I, I have distinct memories of that, too. And sometimes he was announcing, and sometimes he wasn't announcing, but it was the den at Uncle Ted's place. Mm-hmm. And to this day, when there's a really big fight, I think of my family in the den watching the fights, or family oh, wherever the they are, and I honestly do. There's nothing, you know, people can say, oh, you did great and everything. There might be millions, tens of millions of people watching But I really do think of my family and I think back of me sitting in that den watching, never imagining that I'd be there and family could be watching me. And I think one of the last fights, I think it was Mayweather Pacquiao. I'm like texting. There's like a group text with family members Mm -hmm. about what's going on the Mm -hmm. week of. and Kevin had that going. Yeah, Yeah. Kevin had that going. So, Mm -hmm. you know, to me getting that um acceptance from the family means more than anything doesn't it though it really does yeah it's
0: it's really it's, it's funny how that works i'll i'll uh, tell you a story in a bit about your dad watching me announce one time um that was interesting but i kind of was interested um i know young as a youngster you're going to see your your dad at the olympic mm-hmm. and there was times where he'd float us tickets and it was yeah. always like so fun oh yeah to go to the olympic and if I came home with a little blood on my shirt, I was like, Yep, I was right there. My uncle got me these. But you did you go often?
1: Yeah, I did. I went to both wrestling and boxing. Mm. And I remember there were times where I would I went alone with him a couple times. I'd sit down and he'd tell the usher, watch out after him. He's he's my son, and you know, mm-hmm. that's where I'd be. Uh I remember going having a my um I was six years old. I had my birthday party up in the booth above where the <laughs> Richmond 95171 <laughs> was. And I had my little buddies there. And that's that was my birthday party, inviting right. them to the wrestling. Oh, wow. And um, so, yeah, I have, you know, sometimes he would befriend wrestlers and especially. I, I think the wrestlers were almost more open, more friendly kind of family oriented and so getting to know some of them but yeah going to the fights and as i got older it meant more and more to me as i as i love the sport of boxing so much so your
0: um uncle jim would always maintain the uh the veneer of about wrestling like as if it weren't make you know as if it weren't pre-arranged he'd always say mm-hmm, and he would just move right on
1: oh it was the big secret he would never let on although there was one time that he hinted it to me because i was there and he was going to get jumped by one of the wrestlers. And he said, you might see something, but I'm going to be okay. Don't worry. Oh, that's great. And that was the extent of. Like, Did that happen? Oh, yeah. And it happened. Yeah. No yeah, yeah. He, that's great. So, uh, somehow the wrestler went wild and went crazy afterwards and oh, attacked hilarious. everybody, including oh, my dad. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> hey, I
0: bet you saw some, some fun things at the Olympic. I know I got a little bit of an education. Going oh, there.
1: yeah. Yeah. I've been to uh, a, a number of riots there. Um I remember one time and I had just announced I ha- I was a, a young announcer, but I remember the police coming in and the tear gas because mm. I could see row after row people starting to sneeze and choke and it was coming towards me and I just went the other way. And I'd see guys hitting each other and then they'd stop and they'd see me, "Oh, Jimmy." And then they'd go back to the, to whatever fight. So I didn't feel in danger, but it was, it was an experience, that's for sure. Um, I also remember one of the things I just loved is there was a, a metal ramp where you could get from one tier, and instead of walking around, you could walk down this kind of metal ramp. Okay. But it would get slippery. And so the fans would kind of watch when someone's coming down with a couple of beers in their hands, and the person would start take the shortcut and slip on the ramp the beers and the whole crowd would cheer yeah and then wait for the next like person to do like a broken plate it. in a restaurant oh that's great and it, it was like a, the regulars knew that a fall was going to happen
0: I think I share uh, an affection for one of the early boxers that always got my attention which was Danny Red Lopez and I don't know did he ever like Win the heavyweight. I mean, the uh, mid, he was like a middleweight,
1: lightweight. He was a featherweight, and he featherweight. absolutely won the featherweight world and he title. Did. Yeah, he you, had. Your dad some, seemed to love him. Yeah, no question. And I. Um, I've seen him not too long ago. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, he and his wife, super nice people. And, uh, you know, one of my favorites also, because he was the kind of fighter, if he got hit and knocked down, watch out, because he'd get up and knock you out. And he was a great, great yeah, fighter. A, some, him. some
0: great names back there. Who else, Did you remember, when as a boy, who you used to like as a fighter?
1: I, I did like uh, Danny uh, Little Red Lopez and his brother, Ernie Lopez, mm-hmm. um, Big Red. And, um, you know, there was Monroe, uh, uh, I think it was Monroe Brooks. And, mm. um, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of the, the fighters, uh, you know, Hispanic fighters were ones. You they, know, they were. Manda Ramos and, and Chongo Carmona, whether they're U.S. or, or uh, internationally born. Those are some of my heroes growing up. So we talked uh, a little bit, uh, you know, about... Uh, your father, so my uncle Jim. He was born
0: in 1913. Yes, right. Uh, died in 1992. Um, but some of the there's there's legend hmm. and perhaps mythology hmm. that's that the rest of us all either you know buy into and 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 so I want to see a few things. So on the side of innovation. Was he either the first or the one that popularized wearing a tuxedo in the ring?
1: Yeah, and I've heard that, too. I don't know of a way to verify that or not, but mm-hmm. that's what he said, you know, <laughs> for, for so many years. Not necessarily letting the facts get in the way of a good that's PR right. opportunity. But, you know, we we go along with that. I, I I think it's true, and I have read it. Okay. But I don't know how to verify that. But he certainly did bring, I think, the level of class up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's not just someone maybe with a cigar on the side of the mouth and just, you know. Barking. Pr- so, barking no, and not yelling. about. So pre- the pronunciation of the name. Pronunciation, pronunciation of the name, the, the dress, the attire, would mm-hmm. wear the tuxedo, and, and he came with a lot of class into the ring.
0: Also, um, I understand he was the one who started to use the bell to introduce celebrities around the exterior. And I don't know if that's true or not. Like he'd be, And especially you're in Los Angeles. So you got plenty of celebrities, plenty if, of celebrities. If, if not other fighters, to go, and he would go, ding, ding. I read some old article where the New York mere sports columnist said, I've never seen a, a ring announcer that controls the bell like that.
1: Wow. Yeah. You know what's so funny? You're, you're, saying, you're telling me something that I'm really not aware of. Wow. And he never said, do this. Oh, but I tell you, I rely on the bell so much. Almost every fight, I go talk to the timekeeper and I say, you know, look out for me. I'm going to point to you. Keep my and I rely. It's to me, it's a important part of the fight. The whole atmosphere, the That's sound, cool. and, and the vision. The bell is a big part of it.
0: That's so cool. Now, um, what would what would you consider Uncle Jim's like biggest fight? Um I mean, I remember the Hagler Hearns in those eras, and I'm trying to remember him from any of the big heavyweight fights. But um, what would you what would you tag as like perhaps he he didn't do Hagler
1: versus Hearns, but he did a number of Hearns fights and a number of Hagler fights. Got it. So, um, to be honest, there Um, and so those were all you know big fights in terms of heavyweights. He did Ali a couple of fights Mm. in Ali. They weren't his biggest fights, Mm -hmm. Um, and I know he did. I know he did Sonny Liston. He he always had a, a good story about Sonny Liston introducing him. That, you know, well known, a very surly, mm-hmm. kind of angry man. Mm-hmm. And he. Um, Rightfully
0: so on some levels. Yes. It's a great documentary on him that it's, came out recently.
1: It's very good, very yep. good. And my dad, like always, would go talk to the fighters beforehand to make sure how to announce them. And he went into his dress room and said, So, Sonny Liston. And Sonny stopped him and said, It's not Sonny, boy. It's. What was his name? Charles, I think. Oh. And so my dad actually was a little bit of offended because he was, you know, so gruff. And so my dad introduced him in the ring as Charles Liston and never said Sonny Liston for him. <laughs> he didn't go with Chuck Liston. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't
0: push his buttons either. Wow. That's something. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. something. What about, um, now Uncle Jim take full advantage of being in Los Angeles with the television and movie opportunities. Mm. Seventy-five or something, something like
1: that. Like that TV and and um, and film uh, opportunities, and almost always as an announcer. But I think there were a couple times he'd be early as a reporter and so forth. He, he got in some mm. small parts. Mm-hmm. And my mom, who's ninety-seven, mm-hmm. uh, still receives some of those residual checks, and they, of course, dwindle as time well, goes sense. by. So there, many are very small, but she gets little wow. love messages from uh, my dad to her. It, it, it's the best, just
0: because I love looking at old tv and old films and stuff and mm-hmm. anytime boxing comes up then i just go wait like you know if the Maybe. the kids are around me yeah. i'm like i just go wait you don't know yeah like, we're gonna yeah. see you know and i mean i would imagine like raging bull might have been the the <laughs> highest kind
1: of um regarded yeah. film that he's no question about it I, yeah. and i think it's one of the all-time great films sure. it's just an amazing film and um uh, uh he was on set for seven days on that and he was just in kind of one scene not a not a big scene at all and Scorsese wasn't a big knowledgeable boxing person right. Uh, so it's it's a really unique film in that way so he really mm. didn't know you know who you know he did it his own way let's mm. put it that way and that uh, was an amazing film my dad was in Rocky 3 and there's a story I don't know if you know this about he actually the um, casting director approached him and said would you be in this film the, and for Rocky 1 Rocky 1 okay and uh my dad said you know okay you know, what's the pay and he says well it's scale it's the lowest amount and my dad said no you know i don't really <laughs> think so i don't work for scale and the casting director said please come in just meet the director and and uh you know i think you'll so my dad agreed so he goes in to meet the director it Was Avalon, right? Okay. And the director yeah, yeah. <laughs> was, uh, you know, at his desk, and he looked up at my and the casting director. Says, so this is the uh, ring announcer, and he looks up. He goes, "Well, you don't look like a ring announcer." <laughs> and so my dad took the script and said, "You don't look like a director," and he <laughs> left the script and walked out. And so he was not in Rocky One, Rocky <laughs> Two, but apparently Sylvester Stallone himself reached out to him to be in Rocky Three. And three. Wow. Yeah, so what an honor. Wow, that is an honor. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's
0: so funny. <laughs> I, um, You know, I sometimes forget you've got to like there's there's a different listenership and viewership Mm. here. Mm. So backing up, the Lennon family came to, you know, this area. Our grandfather, who we never knew because he died when our dads were young. um, He came out here to work for, in effect, MGM. But it was the beginnings of that and be a promotional guy. So there's this promotional. Right. And then from them came seven boys, girl, 64 first cousins. Which you and I are part of that and then lose count after that. Yes. Um, But that said, there's this promotional gene that seems Mm. to run through the family. Mm. And so whether it's promoting talent like the Lennon sisters um, who who, who did fine or the band Venice and and multiple musical acts, or, you know, what's inherent to the fight game, which is that idea of get the hype up. Um, Mm. You know, that's something that you're a direct line to. And it's and it's exciting.
1: I never thought of that. Yeah. You know, I think of what you do. I think of what, you know, Bill Lennon does and Branson, he did an amazing job, with Danny too. Yep. Um, but I never thought of me in the promotional business, but I guess there's part of it. And it's mm-hmm. it's maybe comes from the genes. It's natural. No doubt.
0: Well, this is the number one show on Midfield Avenue for the oh. podcasting. You oh, do I know. Oh, you do that. that. It's yeah.
1: something very to be, yeah. to be very proud of, and I think you should have... The trophy
0: very soon. I'm going to show, when we put this together post-production, there's a time. um, So one of the things, and I brought it up on the podcast before, but we we started a backyard volleyball tournament. There's Mm. three families that lived on this one block in Venice, and eventually we went from just my backyard, which was my parents' house, to five backyards, three front yards, 1,000 people on the block, blind draw, backyard to backyard, everywhere had a different thing going on. It was super fun. And originally, your dad would come and announce the king and queen and yes. then the participants and the participants would go out into my room which was separate from the house it's like a converted garage and then they'd run out and and, and they were i can't tell you how excited <laughs> they were they could not believe jimmy lennon was going <laughs> to introduce him right and then you followed in line with that which is great um but one fun, funny story about your dad is he goes uh, this one time he was in the movie tough guys yes and um so he wanted to make sure he got a plug in for tough guys and so while the guys are waiting to come out for the championship, he goes now. If I could just have your second, you know, <laughs> I'm in this movie. It's called Tough Guys, Burt Lancaster, and he goes over Burt Lancaster's, and then he, you know, and he's and then he starts saying, "Well, now I'm playing myself as a singer," and I'm kind of going, <clears throat> "Uncle Jim," <laughs> <laughs> like we don't have the lights. It's so funny. But um, then I got you on a local cable. Interviewed you, and you came up, and you came up, and you go. Okay, so the promotional gene. One of the things I always did, and I learned this from the backyard, is I would just make up some tagline. So I called it the world's largest backyard volleyball tournament. It was a great tagline, too. Okay. And uh, so you come and you said, well, you know, my father used to do the introductions you do this thing. And uh, now I'm proud to be here at the world's largest backyard volleyball tournament. I was like, bam. That's
1: my boy, Jamie. Came right in with it. it sounded super legit. It was so good, well, it was, and it was legit. Wasn't that fun though? Amazing. I, I've never participated in any event more fun than that. That was so fun. Oh, it's just amazing. And like you said, you go to the different backyards, and a whole different thing was going on. the The uh, the whole environment of that is just. It was so fun, oh, and I remember
0: you—you just—you—you you, you just take it around with it. You just go, you just get the particulars, and then you'd say, weighing in at a combined weight of three hundred and forty pounds." You know, because <laughs> it's two people. Oh man, it was so good, A lot um, of fun. The other uh, thing that's kind of fun is the story about your dad, nineteen twenty-seven, striking out Babe Ruth. Mm. Do you know uh, more details than I do about that, or
1: you probably know more than I do? But I'll start, and you fill it in. Uh, yeah, so he uh, won some sort of contest to pitch against Babe Ruth. Mm. And he faced him three times in the baseball field, and the uh, third time he struck him out. Okay. And, you know, what a thrill and everything. And it was over, and my dad realized, I don't have a picture of that. So he grabbed a photographer, found a photographer, and uh, hunted down Babe Ruth, who was playing golf. And my I have the picture at home, my dad in his baseball outfit. And Babe Ruth in his golfing outfit, because this was wow. hours afterwards, and it's, it's with him, th- you know, pretending like throwing a pitch, Babe Ruth holding a bat, my dad must have made sure he had a bat too, and it was assigned so smart. to Jimmy, you throw a wicked curveball, Babe Ruth. Goodness gracious! And you and, and you still have that photo? Yeah. yeah. Oh wow! What oh, that's yeah. an heirloom. A wicked curveball. Are you kidding? Me? <laughs> Babe Ruth. Yeah. Wow. And so, how old was my dad? Fourteen at the What's time. Must have been about fourteen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: That is something. Well, the part that uh, always cracked me up is as I read through his clippings in the local newspapers, uh, they'll talk about him hosting this fight or, or hosting this event or whatever. And no matter what, they would have to tag it with. And this is as a schoolboy, he struck out Babe Ruth <laughs> because your dad would carry that around he
1: He was awfully proud of that that's so good it's him
0: um you know he he had all these groundbreaking um things to the sport to the ring and but um he was posthumously put into the um what
1: the international hall of fame international boxing hall of fame
0: and that i'm wondering why they didn't do that while he's still alive
1: do you know no you know, and I can't dwell on it. A, mm-hmm. a. Um, first of all, the International Boxing Hall of Fame wasn't real big when he was still announcing mm. at the at the same time. So okay. it, it developed and it grew after the years. And then I think you know his uh, accomplishments maybe faded a little bit because the time had passed, mm-hmm. and it was more of a at that point also more of an East Coast. Is it mm. Canastota, New York, and more of an East coast emphasis mm-hmm. and so i don't dwell on on sure. that as much as they righted something wrong and he yeah deservingly sure does there so it was um i think it was 2015 i believe was the year could be wrong okay but it's uh, oh, great well it, after it, he passed. it's
0: great to be in there and i think yeah. th- i saw you quoted somewhere like years from now people won't know that it exactly. was posthumous right you, they just know he's in there yes which, exactly. which is terrific so you had graduated college mm. and um did you immediately take a, a teaching job
1: uh, so, um, what I did is I had a tough time finding work cause I studied psychology and you get mm. nothing with that. <laughs> and so I ended up substitute teaching just to keep busy. I, you know, it was a tough time in life for me mm-hmm. and, um, I substitute and I was offered a job and I said, no. Mm. And then I, one of the nicest things is I read some, there was teacher evaluations at the end of the semester and I was ready to move on because mm. I was a long-term substitute. Someone had left, I think it was pregnancy, and, and so I took over some classes. And some of the students wrote some things to me and they showed them to me and it was so touching. Right. I said, all right, I'll come back next year. You know, this is kind of nice. I ended up loving it. And okay, that all things, I mean, I haven't told many people this, but all things equal... um. I loved it more than boxing, announcing, mm. uh, and I feel like I have one of the best jobs in the world mm-hmm. being a, an announcer, but I really enjoyed it. Having mm-hmm. an impact on kids, as, as you mm-hmm. know, um, just the day-to-day, you know, making a change, helping someone, you mm-hmm. know, was really important to me, and I just loved it. So. Yeah. I had to give it up because I had to choose. I had a family to raise, and one was much more lucrative than the other. How did you get on the track to becoming the what was it a principal or a headmaster? And then uh, how did you get on track? It's a private school, so yeah, Uh it was a very small school, and and okay. and. Um, they uh, asked West me LA to Baptist? yeah West LA Baptist yeah. School we okay. had one of our Christmas parties there I yeah, don't know if we did called. I do. and and my wedding was there uh, and they asked me they were looking for new principals and they asked me to throw my hat and basically I said you know if you find someone more equipped hire them I'm fine with what I'm doing and if not you know I'll accept it and so. So, so that's, that's how, how it happened. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's
0: great. It sounds like the Catholic schools that I worked at. Once you see, you, they see a little competency in you in yes. one area. Yeah, they start to add some things to you. They <laughs> keep <laughs> and, you around, and, and they don't add to. Their, they don't add to your paycheck. But they <laughs> no. certainly add to your workload. No, yeah, no. I know that drill. Um, so you then at that time at the same time you were learning the announcing game with your father
1: concurrently. Yes, and. I think it was also...
0: Mid-70s, late-70s? No,
1: this would be in the 80s, 80s, early 80s. Okay. Um, And I think uh, me, you know, leaving UCLA with not a real strong career direction you know, I would go with my dad and he'd pay me some money to interview the fighters. Mm. So I'd start by going in, talking to the fighters, interviewing them, Mm -hmm. giving my notes to my dad. And then eventually I would announce a fight. So it was Mm. pretty much that same time period where I was, uh, you know, starting to teach also. And so it was an opportunity. And I was, hey, I like a little money. This is all right. And then I would announce a few fights and I would get a lot of acceptance a lot you know some might say following your dad 's footsteps would be very difficult, but people like my dad so much that they they were really nice to me, really welcoming and i I think that had a big impact also on me, like the notes from the students who enjoyed me teaching. I think I responded a lot uh, to, the, oh, to the to the kind sense. comments
0: do you remember your first um Time in the ring, having to announce a fight undercard or whatever.
1: Yeah, I was wearing a suit. I really didn't stand in the center of the (laughs) ring. I sat a little bit closer to the ropes, and uh, if I recall, and I'm—I don't—the first fighter had the craziest nickname. Um, and his nickname was Bucket of Blood. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am, this so young guy uh, starting uh, announcing, and I'm announcing this. You're like, are you sure this Bucket is right? Bucket of Blood. And I ended up meeting his trainer not too long ago. He says, oh yeah, I remember Bucket of Blood. He was oh, a really good goodness. guy, but yeah, he was a little bit crazy. And, uh... Bucket of Blood. Nice.
0: <laughs> um, I remember out of the backyard, um, I think you have a different experience with your your dad, um, well, a little bit. Anyways, because I, th- I think I know why. But any, um, So I was in the backyard calling those games. Mm. And then this women's pro beach volleyball decided to break away from being on the same courts as the men's because they weren't being treated fairly. Mm. So they formed the Women's Pro Volleyball Association. They invited me to come be the because sa- they s- found me in the backyard. So they said, come out. And the very first time I went up, the tournament director turned to me and said, I don't know who you are, but if you're not any good, I'll have you off by lunch gee and i went oh hi uh, i'm denny okay so that's that was my <laughs> and i did well enough that by lunch they go hey our next one's in hawaii do you uh, want to go huh. and i said yeah so then i would i did that for a few years but i'm only my third event fourth event come back to venice your dad went and he sat and he and i i didn't notice but he had a notepad and he and he sat for a lot of the day and and this is like, like in the 90s you know 90 89 And um, so I came, he came backstage, and I was like, hey, Uncle Jim, I was proud. I could, Mm. like, I could not believe Uncle Jim came to see me announce. And I was like, hey, Uncle Jim, he goes, you got a second, boy? And I go, sure. (laughs) He goes, so I got a couple notes here. And he told me everything I said wrong, how I did, had some things out of order, so on and so forth. Gave me a couple compliments, but that's what I remembered. And he ended with, and uh, whatever you do, son, don't embarrass the family. (laughs) I went whoa but you know what it was it was that tough love he was like I spent the day here and I'm I don't I'm not going to come every time but this one time I'm going to teach you what I can and it made me so much better because everything he said I remembered and I started to pay attention much more closely to those things wow and it really it made me a hundred percent better and i've always been so like thankful for that i never got a chance to go back up to him and go did you know
1: like wow. i actually got a lot
0: better uncle trip you know oh that's yeah. really
1: something yeah he was something yeah you know what it was i think the opposite for me and i don't know why but uh i he when he was sick and and not doing well and he would stay home and i'd take over some of mm-hmm. his work but or even when we worked together he would have a little piece of paper with notes on it but I'm so grateful, maybe because he knew me better, he would go through everything I did right. And he said, "You mm-hmm. good job doing this, and you did this, and oh. And, at the, and then at the end, he'd say, you know, sometimes you may want to think about putting the nickname at the beginning instead of the middle. And, you know, that might be it for his recommendations. But he was all very positive. Nice. He had a slow roll-up with you. He, I, I think maybe his that.
0: age. Um, and also, I think he, just, he was like, no, I'm going to give him what I got now. And because it's what you know, this is be the time mm. I see him. I mean, Uncle Bill um, lived two houses down from me, and I used to call him Grandpa because he taught me so much about sports. Mm. Right? I would go down there, and he would just show me how to play ball. Mm. But he, I just remember he always was very concise, cut to the chase, mm. and it worked for me. And wow. but I do remember that that was that's pivotal to me on getting better. Uh, he told me something about concise, clear, and correct. You have three C's when you have that microphone, son concise clear and correct and just all those things that stuck with me to this day wow learning how to speak properly
1: you know it was it was pretty uh that's really something how he yeah. saw that role in his life for me to give to you it was great yeah. um
0: so first big gigs like when did uh when did that start to happen so about like when did you forget your first ones where you were
1: well Okay, so my first world title fight, now call it big, ended yeah. up being the first world world title fight of uh, boxing great Julio Cesar Chavez, oh. and that was uh, I think in eighty four. And when you go to Mexico, they will talk about the exact date. Of that fight because it's it's a big part of history because such a tremendous champion so that was a real big gig for me if I recall my father was elsewhere doing another big fight Mm -hmm. but I did that fight at the Olympic Auditorium so that was that right yeah but you know by that time I had done so many fights because I used to do amateur fights in you know hotel pool yard grounds you know and i'd be 25 fights that night or that day and the next day i do 25 more and i had done so so many fights i I didn't feel like a newcomer tell me about some of those places
0: yeah you know you're in
1: a tux everybody else there not exactly no not exactly (laughs) and you know i would get in the in the ring and you know a lot of people amateur boxing is not a big deal they just have some guy say their name who's in a t-shirt ringside but i'd get in the ring and do the whole spiel uh-huh. and um it's good training for me yeah, yeah. I, I did a You had lot to have learn to win over different types of audiences uh, absolutely and um yeah i i did but but i i came in with a mindset of what i should do how it should be done the correct way to do it the only way i knew was watching my father so mm. i didn't think anything but dress nicely get in the ring present the guys as best as i could interview them beforehand make sure i pronounce their name correctly make sure i know where they're from you know what they want what's their real hometown and that's great and everything so you did you, yeah that you know <clears throat> i often say that about um
0: athletes that grow up in a environment where their dad's either a coach or an athlete and and all they ever see and know mm. is the game played at a high level and so I've talked to some that are advanced in, in like Karch Krai, for instance, mm. the great volleyball player, right? He said, I was only around really good players. I was lucky that like club volleyball didn't exist. So I wasn't around a bunch of other 12 year olds that were flailing. I was only around older guys that could really play the sport. So that's all his visual. That's all that was drained yeah. into him. And, I mean, you had a similar type of upbringing when it came to announcing. You had right. the
1: best right in front of you. And people said, have you tried to imitate his style or copy him and so forth? No, not really. It's just it's what I was around. And so that's all I knew. That makes sense. How many um,
0: – so you you mentioned about dressing nice. How many uh, tuxes you got? Oh uh,
1: Yeah. <laughs> Do people ask you this all the time? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> I did have um, the worst question I've ever been asked was, do you own your own tux? <laughs> it was no. years ago. But... No, I got a sponsorship <laughs> with Al's Tuxedo Riddles. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. You know, the styles change, and I put some away. Sure. And I, I don't know. I probably have about uh, eight or so. I okay. don't know, something like that. Yeah, change uh, the tie uh, and, the, I, and the shirt. As, as
0: Now, you, I know you've, you've stayed about the same size, so have you ever mm. come back to ones from way back that are kind of like either throwback or they've come back in style
1: no i haven't i, I really have it yeah i i have it. it would be interesting but at one point i i just lose space and i say you know no you're i out. gotta move it along and, uh,
0: what, tell me a little bit about the whole uh, routine for you know a, a big fight and then then i want to ask you some about your other big fights um so there's the weigh-in is that is that the first time you're kind of in effect on the clock or is there preparation before the weigh-in about how that's going to go and How, how, like, integral are you to the whole process?
1: Yeah, and and it all depends on the size of the fight. If we're talking about a big Mm -hmm. pay-per-view fight, like a mayweather Pacquiao or or something Mm -hmm. like that, I, you know, I'll show up uh, even for production meetings beforehand. We'll talk about, you know, get things coordinated. Um, And certainly before the weigh-in, I do a lot of preparation. I mean, I, you know, I over-prepare. I I don't Mm -hmm. really need to, but I, you know, I want to be ready and do the Mm -hmm. best I can because I, I have this sense of me, I'm only as good as my last performance, and I'm judged on that only, and it's, you know. So in any case, so- I prepare for the weigh-in a lot, and, and then I go there, and uh, so so I'll present the fighters, and then, um, yeah, that that's, you know, that's it. When I was younger and smaller fights, I would always go to the arena, interview each of the fighters. Mm-hmm. Like I said, um pronounce their name properly what's their nickname where they're from the hometown you know check the colored trunks and um for the bigger fights there's a whole staff doing that and so i in some ways i feel a little out of it i i really used to enjoy talking to each of the fighters yeah i still do that if there's a difficult name or or a uh something i need to have answered i'll go into the dressing rooms and some of them are friends and so i'll wish them the best and so yeah i'll and show up early to the fight has night is
0: any of those weigh-ins Gotten a little crazy, where you were worried that they were going to take their antics and you were oh, going to get sure. involved in the middle? Oh yeah, because you're right there.
1: Yeah, it happens a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the they pushing could just and be messing shoving. around and yeah. yeah, and and you know, some places are a little bit better controlled than. A, I just did a fight with Gervonta Davis and Uriokis Gamboa, and it was a swelter sweltering hot room, overcrowded stage, not enough security. They got into a shoving match and so, but you know, I don't. I don't need to deal with that. I, I just walk out. I mean, I don't. And words out there that Jimmy Jr. will kick your ass. There you go. <laughs> they you know. know it. They know. And I, and in terms of weigh-ins, uh, Macho uh, Macho Camacho mm-hmm. used to love to just take everything off on the big stage <laughs> and step on the scale. I mean, I mean. You know, now, you know, they'll weigh in their trunks, and if you need to, if you're a quarter pound off, you know, they'll bring out the, the towel and take off the underwear. And he would just, you know, oh, oh yeah, that's let's so do that. funny. <laughs> he, was, he was just crazy. So, pl- plenty of those antics as
0: well. Okay, so um, before I ask you about some of your big fights, mm. you've picked up some TV and film. Mm. So, you've done Hot Shots? Yeah. Um, and I Spy? Yes. Um where you are on, on set for much more than your shot or do you have to be there like all day the whole week oh
1: yeah it's 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 quite quite long you know mm-hmm. to be there ready hot shots i even remember going and reading for the script they had a big a room with a large u-shaped table and everyone took the script and read their parts and 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 uh You know, it was so funny to see, uh, you know, the director said, okay, everyone just say your name, what role you're playing, and I don't know, where you went to high school. (laughs) And uh, and so everyone (laughs) would go around the room, and, uh, you know, Charlie Sheen is saying, well, I'm playing this, and uh, I went to high school at Samo. I didn't graduate, but, you know, and all these famous (laughs) actors uh, saying that. So, yeah, and and then being there, it's a two, three-day process, no matter how small the role is. I did Southpaw recently. Not Yeah, Jake you know, Gillenhall, right? Yeah, Bill. and uh, again, uh, a very small part, but they're on set for two, three days and in hot shots. And uh...
0: We um, like to consider ourselves in the pop culture the show of record for 80s television. Mm. And I want you to know where I really became proud of you finding <laughs> out that you're in an episode of Hunter. <laughs> Look out, Fred Dreyer yeah. <laughs> holding down as, as I, Rick Hunter.
1: I kind of forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy
0: davis jr with an eye patch yes he played yes. a very convincing cornerman. yeah yeah <laughs> okay now and the other one is highway to heaven yeah fighting for your life that might was that your first one looked
1: like it was early it was on your... early but not my first my very first was i think the ray boom boom mancini story oh, uh, made for tv and yeah. made for nbc Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I really kind of forgot about those. <laughs> but you did not mention Married with Children, or are you getting to that well, later? Well, that's the 90s. That's the yeah, next there you generation go. down was watching that.
0: Not that I did, did, did. Was that one a little bit longer? Like, did well, they give you yeah. a, a little more shtick?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I wasn't a, a ring announcer. I, I oh, I, I was a ringside commentator for wrestling. Okay. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, <laughs> you know, there was a, a wrestler versus... Uh, you know, the girl in it, I can't remember her name, but... Uh,
0: Christina Applegate, that Yeah, yeah Christina Applegate's yeah. character, uh-huh. and
1: she was a bumblebee uh, dressed in the, you know. My big <laughs> line was, look at the hiney on that honey. <laughs> Classic. Oh, <laughs> Classic. And I'm about to look that up.
0: I like oh, that stuff. Did, yeah. um, did um, Michael Landon cry in your How- Highway to F an episode, do you know? Because he cried an awful I lot on television. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Yeah. That, that'll, that'll make it... <laughs> i don't make it for you so um do you get a lot of questions about not only your dad but like the lennon sisters and other other parts of the family when you're getting interviewed or as like i've i've found that just in conversations with people it's starting to fade now
1: sure you know and it's the older folks who would just tell me how much they were in love with janet or whatever and and (laughs) that one always seems to come up yeah. yeah and um but I, it's uh, so, yeah, a lot more when I started and less now, but, uh, you know, I'm so proud of them. Yeah, I it's happy great. To, happy to fill them in and on everything I know.
0: Yeah, it's it's fun. You speak uh, Spanish? A little bit. And um, Maori? Is that how you say it? The New Zealand language or something? Did I read no, that somewhere? No,
1: no, that might have been made That's up. That's Strike Force? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought that might have had something to do. What I do is I try to welcome. Whenever I go to foreign countries, welcome in their language Mm. as much as I can. And it fools some people thinking I speak a lot Mm. more than I do. Mm -hmm. So I've done it in Indonesian, Japanese, German, French, Spanish, of course. That's cool. Um, uh, Russian, uh, Turkish as well. There's a funny story with the the Turkish one because I went to Ankara, Turkey to do a fight. They hadn't had boxing there in a couple generations. And... So I arrive the morning of the fight, and I see a waiter setting up the table, and in the restaurant it's like five in the morning, and and so I say, hey, how do you say? And to all of my Turkish friends, good evening and welcome. And I recorded him saying it a couple times. So then I went to my room, went to get, got some sleep, and I played it and recorded it. And so I get introduced. You know, another announcer does the undercard. Okay. Now, Turkey's not good friends with Americans, mm. and so I'm introduced mm. as a now to announce, you know, the rest of the farts, uh, American announcer, Jimmy Lennon Jr., and they, they all booed me. And Did they think you said Iranian? No, they were, <laughs> you know, it was a number of years yes. ago. And, uh, and then I, you know, ladies and gentlemen, good evening, welcome, and then I gave my Turkish welcome, and they all cheered. Oh. And I felt like I really won them over, so... As much as the, I can do that, I'll do that. And wow. I'd like somebody to could set you
0: up if you're not careful when you don't know the language. That's um, true. So, so, so is that the process? It goes. You, you have somebody say it into a recorder, and then you just listen to it over and over again?
1: Oh, it all depends. Oh. It all depends. That's, when that's I was really going to cool. Indonesia, I, had a, I was sitting next to an Indonesian professor, mm. and I said, oh, by the way, this might have been the first time I did it as well, if not in Spanish, in mm. another language. And I said, how would you say this? And we just went over that and went over that. And, How um, does your mind
0: hear it? Do, do you, like, do you, do you, you probably, you can't read it, so do you just got to hear it?
1: Do you break it down? I, I would put it phonetically. I think I might even remember it. And this was like, you know, 30, 20 some years ago. I, in Indonesian, you repeat to plural, it's a pretty easy language. When you pluralize something, you repeat it. So ladies is, is bapak. Mm-hmm. Lady is bapak. Ladies is bapak. Okay. So, I say, Bapak Bapak Tan Ibu Ibu Selamat Malam Kepara Parapangabar Tinju di Indonesia. Brilliant. And that was my welcome. And that's and enough for the whole crowd to go, hey. They loved it. This guy's one of us. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, I that's got away so with good. it. Yeah. And you've
0: done that in so many languages. Yeah, a that's lot of languages. That's pretty awesome. Wow, that's really good. Um, the Showtime phrase. It's Showtime. Yes. Um. That... Was there pressure because did did Michael Buffer precede having the Let's Get Ready to Rumble and there was pressure put on you to get a catchphrase? Or did that just kinda come up because somebody wanted to
1: yeah, show I could, off Showtime? I can no, Yeah, I can tell you how it came up. Uh, there wasn't pressure. Um, you know, I don't know if it's always really necessary, mm-hmm. but uh, it there was a a fight, Julio César Chavez versus Marty Jacobowski mm. At the Mirage in Las Vegas, and one of the Mirage executives got together with the, the um, executive producer of Showtime Boxing, myself, and, sa- and, and he said, you know what, how about if it's Showtime, they do something like that, and so we kind of worked on it together, and that was the first time I did it. And then I kind of developed it more and more, kind of a more shtick, and you know, now you know, ladies and gentlemen, I attend this boxing Venture live. From and then they moved to, to putting the lights on there, so it kind of uh, evolved. Co- it's cool. Um, there wasn't really a pressure to okay. do it. That's good. But it was, um, it, it kind of evolved into something that I felt comfortable about, and Showtime loved it too, and you know, it's, it's been pretty. Good.
0: Um, it's uh, it's it's interesting because when I'll say, "Oh yeah, my and my cousin is Jimmy Lennon Jr." I see people go. And if I follow up with, he's the one who says it's Showtime, they go, I know who that is. Oh, okay. And yeah. I've noticed that just, you know, I think a lot of, it's not inside fans, it's more.
1: Peripheral, yeah. They yeah. go, oh,
0: yeah, that guy. And the lights yeah. go out and then they come back up. I'm yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, did did anybody say, was that concurrent? It wouldn't have been with the Showtime Lakers. No, they would have been done by then, probably by the yes, time. Yes,
1: they would have been done by then.
0: Yeah, so I was wondering if somebody else then starts launching a. Quick yeah. lawsuit, like, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> I didn't yeah. see magic in the ring with you. Um, I've heard you talk about people had ask you questions, and they said, you know, it's bigger the crowd, make you nervous, the bigger the pay-per-view, anything along these lines that ramp you up. And you and you talked about how you just you lock in, you, you just get more focused. Yeah. It was, was kind of cool.
1: And I'm kind of, I, I feel fortunate with that. Um, in some ways, the larger the crowd, the more enthusiasm and more feels like yeah this is good I'm you know this is working and everything so they kind of make it easier than an empty crowd or an unenthusiastic Mm -hmm. crowd and then yeah the bigger the event when it's on me I I I just I have you know I I tend to focus more and I'll tell you you know I'm not perfect and I make mistakes I try not to I haven't seen one yet yeah and it's something might even just be with me that I that I didn't do it right and I kind of I get angry and I do my best to follow up to do even better so i won't think about that mistake or you know
0: has there been um your fault or not any you know mistakes like that where you either were given wrong instruction on who fighters were or a go time too early
1: or anything along these lines where you had to like backpedal sure and you know sometimes it's the microphone is not working Mm. and and i just you know (laughs) It's not going to, sometimes it won't be going to the house or sometimes it won't be going to TV. So I have to make a decision to just continue because TV will pick it up or mm. do I start over? So yeah, those things, there are so many technical things that could go wrong. Uh, being queued too early or too I heard, late. I heard of, there's
0: an incident in 99 and at the Pechanga, Pechanga Resort. I'll yeah. never
1: forget that. It was one of the
0: yeah. most yeah. difficult times. I you know, uh, they, they, well, luckily I was able to pick that guy up and give him a career. That guy Jake Downey, I brought him back. I brought him back, so it's okay.
1: It's really well deserved because <laughs> it was it was a tough situation that night with blood yeah. all over his shirt, and it was uh, <laughs> you know he deserved some latitude.
0: Did I um, read it right? A uh, thousand title fights about?
1: Oh yeah, I think it's about right. Wow. I, you know, I can't really count that. Um, thirty years been going? Yeah, yeah, more than thirty years because oh, it was in the early eighties wow, that I started. Thousand and title fights? Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, and I really lost count, so I'm just going to guess that. In terms of total fights, you know, maybe 15,000 total fights because wow. my first years I would do so many fights, like I had mentioned about, mm-hmm. you know, 25 amateur fights, you know, 50 in a weekend, and but... Uh, wow, that's something else. Yeah. How about the um,
0: work in... You worked the MMA? Yeah. As that, as that came, and, and you're still
1: involved with MMA or well not that? not so much not not as often I'm a little busy with boxing mm-hmm. but but uh you know I enjoy the sport and and um periodically I'll be able to announce some Don King yeah
0: how did that um how, how did that come to be how did you get it was that through the his promotion agency was with HBO or how did how did you come to work for him
1: sure well one of my early times is uh, at the Olympic Auditorium. He would Ooh. bring in a great fighter, and um, and he would fight one of our local guys. And so I'd end up being hired for that. So there I was see. a connection with that. And then I started to do more showtime fights. Um, I think one of the early big ones was Tyson versus Razor Reddick. Mm. And Don King was involved, and I just kept thinking, how can I get more involved in these and so it just it gradually happened a lot of young announcers asked me you know what's the secret how do you do it and just being in the game and just being yeah, there and perfect. so that's what it was with Don King I just had that connection and repeated connections and it got bigger and, and then he wanted me to do all of his fights and I was so lucky because Showtime wanted me to do all of their fights at the same time so if Don King didn't hire me Showtime said yeah we'll you know we'll, oh, we'll take care of you and so it just Develop like that.
0: Traveling with uh, Don King, there's got to be some crazy stories out there. Sort of, Call yeah. Him a character is for an understatement.
1: sure. Yeah, there, there's no question. Um, but my strategy with Don King was to work for him and not pal around with he mm. or the entourage that was. Because fight nights on big fights, you know, he'd be working by himself or a few people around him. And then fight nights, they were. All sorts of hanger oners that were hanging on and getting in the dressing rooms and the production room and front row seats. And it just became a dinner with him. It just became a circus. I think I had dinner with him in all those years twice. And that was it. Wow! You know, that's, yeah. I was
0: in uh, Fort Lauderdale. I was announcing Women's Pro Beach. Somebody came up and said, Don King is in that restaurant down there. It's, it's early morning. It's 830, something in the morning. And we're going to be on like, either ABC or CBS, something. I think CBS. And it was a big deal for us. 'Cause we are always just on Prime Network or something. So it's a big deal. And I just go and I just went for it. I went down there. I walked up. I go, Mr. King. He goes, Yeah. I go, My uncle is Jimmy Lennon and he goes, That must make uh Jimmy Jr. your cousin I said, It does. He goes, Did you have breakfast yet? And I had just eaten and I said, Nope. <laughs> of course. so I sat and I had breakfast with kidding? him it was awesome, I liked, I, it was just such a random thing, he goes well sit down he goes Can he tell me about your family so I talked for a little bit and he said so is that why you came down here and I said I have this crazy idea of you doing the open for us and you're going to say only in america could a woman in a bathing suit make twelve thousand dollars if they win in the same, like this and he, and he goes you are lennon or something and then he goes uh, <laughs> i'll tell you why i can't do that i work for a- it's something about he had contract with abc and he couldn't do cbs or something like that but he was so nice like i mean my background on him was you know thriller manila rumble in the jungle Cleveland, Cleveland, before have happened there. Yeah, well, and we know it did happen. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess we do. I guess the
1: court will tell you what happened. So, but he was so, yeah, very nice. Um, and uh, I would say the same thing. I owe a lot to him for for sticking with me and insisting that I do the, the fights. There were times when it was on HBO. and HBO, didn't want to have me because I was mm. too associated with Showtime. And I've had a, a, an executive from HBO approach me and say. You know Don King is very loyal to you, and he would not have any other announcer ah, than that's you. So cool! And he stood his ground on that. That is and so that was, cool. Yeah, so he, he was—he was and is in many ways a, a real good guy. He's also a very tough guy too, mm. and b- brilliant too. Brilliant man.
0: One of the things I also read thirty, um, at least thirty five countries you've done fights in. Yeah, like I think that? that's something. What kind of travel trips? Would uh, travel tips you got? Any, any <laughs> anything unique you do to travel like that, or you? Yeah, just, well, well. Do you know how to shut it
1: down, or do you sleep? How do you? Wow, well, no, it's a lot. It depends on where I'm going. If I'm going to Europe, what I do is I will take a na- late night flight from L.A. and I'll sleep on the plane. Mm-hmm. I'll get there and I'll stay on L.A. time, mm-hmm. so it makes it quite a dull and boring trip. But it, the jet lag is minimized. So I'll mm-hmm. go to sleep in London or Germany, you know, six in the morning. Wake up two or three in the afternoon. Put on my tuxedo do the fights, stay up all night, take the first flight in the morning back, Okay, sleep on the plane. So I, I try to do that. In Asia, I have to adjust a bit. Okay, uh, I always go travel on. I mean, carry on. You never check my bags. Really? And no matter even what... F- no, no, I don't trust it. Don't trust it. No, no, no you, no, you don't wear the tux on the plane. I don't wear the tux, but I do wear a sports coat on the plane that I might do the, the weigh-in in. The weigh-in. So okay. I can, it'll, it'll hang that up for me, and so I can, so I, I minimize yeah. all my packing, okay. and
0: yeah. All right.
1: Um, okay, I'm going to ask you about
0: a couple of, of the big fights. Mm. 1990, Tyson Douglas, mm. Tokyo Dome.
1: Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I have a distinct memory that we're, we've been talking about my dad is I remember going to the front door and say, he opened the door and he was not feeling well, kind of in pajamas and, you know, during his illness era. And I told him, I said, I'm doing Tyson Douglas. And he really had tears in his eyes. Oh. He was so happy. That was my biggest. What a, what a great memory! Yeah, my biggest mega fight, my first mega fight, I should say. What a great memory! So yeah, I went there. It was a tremendous trip. And, and, was, and for those that don't know, like it was.
0: There's a good documentary. Forty-two to one. That, mm-hmm. that was were sort of the odds on this. Th- yes, that were set.
1: So, Considered the biggest upset, possibly in sports, in sports history, history, not just in boxing. And so, so Mike Tyson is there, and I had. Um, uh, known him, I did the TV show Webster, and he was on <laughs> that, too. Was that the 80s 18- or 90s? <laughs> I am so impressed by your outreach into that. <laughs> and so um, uh, I got to know him there. Okay. And he was just brand-new champion. and He's uh, a real student of the sport, so oh, he probably knew who yes. your dad was, right? Oh, no question. I, I can tell you another great story about Please. that. Uh, uh, um, but in any case, for this particular fight, um. So I went there. It was b- big deal. I've never, you know, it was an eye-opener for me going to Japan with so many journalists and media and, and mm. the money that was spent and everything. And um, I remember not seeing Mike very often. And he was in his room. He didn't come out much. I remember the way at the uh, press conference, he came out and t- tons of photos. And sitting next to me was Buster Douglas, who had well, not yet come up. And okay. no one was paying any attention to really? him at all and and you well, know
0: Iron Mike was such a huge thing oh. but so nobody's even paying attention to Buster nah huh?
1: because it was he was not ex- he's expected to be another loss but H- hadn't
0: uh, his mom just died or something like Buster that
1: Buster Douglas's mom had just died oh, and so wow. he had some extra motivation and Mike w- w- was in his room most of the time and clearly not mentally or physically prepared for this fight as well training training yeah. wise yeah, yeah is it's, that right yeah just you know, it wasn't right, and you noticed that. But yeah, I did notice that. But did it make you think that
0: the fight no. would have any different outcome?
1: No, I remember the press talking, many of the the boxing press there in in the shuttles going to the arena and so forth. Like, you know, why did I come? And should I have come? I maybe I should have passed on this. And so this is going to be a terrible. They're real down. Boxing press is typically kind of downers anyway they 're yeah. kind of negatives, but they were really down on this fight and just couldn 't believe what happened and You know when Mike knocked uh, Buster down in the beginning like of the fight, you thought. we thought, okay, you know finally it 's here, and then Buster got up. There was a the long count issue, and yeah, you know what so, so there may be forty forty five thousand people in in the the baseball arena. And so quiet. The Japanese fans are so quiet. Mm. And but you you could hear so clearly Don King's, and you sit next to Donald Trump, because <laughs> the next fight was going to be against Holyfield, and that would be in Donald Trump's property. And so oh. they were making so Donald Trump Don in, King they, In New you, Jersey property yeah in atlantic the, city the, um, yeah a lot, pro- uh,
0: whatever that yeah i'm
1: not sure the big casino yet. Okay. yeah and wow. so here they are Talk, you know and you could hear don's voice f- over everyone complaining about the the long count and you know and then the the end came the big surprise couldn't believe it bedlam and then we go back to the hotel then suddenly there's news like there's a press conference, a press conference. because of the long count and Octavio Meran, who was the referee, you know, is com- admitting that he ruined it and so forth. Well, you know, what a shame! What? He got so did, much did, pressure. Did
0: Don have there was, him there was pressure to from the say,
1: WBC, from Don King, from anyone? Did you perceive a long count? Sure, it was long, but um, you got to go by what the referee says. Mm-hmm. It ended up being what thirteen seconds instead of ten or nine. But you know, you always go with what the the referees count. That's what the fighter is looking at. And did you have to, to, to. announce anything on that night in the ring? Like after the decision, that, that there's no. a protest or anything? No, no. I went to the took the shuttle back to the arena. Went to the to the press conference where I was looking, and it was it was odd atmosphere. There was definitely a lot of pressure, a lot of closed doors, you know, wow. discussions and rumors, and it was
0: did did wild. Could, could you perceive that you were part of this unbelievable upset? In sports, or were you just
1: kind of in the moment? In the moment. In the moment. And, you know, in the end, you know, there was a good chance of the decision could have been overturned, mm. but public opinion and the press and everything would not allow that, which is good.
0: It's a where-were-you-when kind of for yeah. sports fans because yeah. I, I remember distinctly where I was at my friend Mike Asher's apartment, and, mm. and it was watching Tyson grovel on the ground for his mouthpiece. His mouthpiece. yeah. That just is burned into my mind. It was yeah. like, "Whoa, the king is dead."
1: Yeah, yeah, amazing. That was something else. It was it was a big big event. And, and then
0: and then on the post side, it started to sink in. Like, right. wait a second, I was there for this. Yeah, yeah.
1: Ended up being big. <laughs> That's so cool.
0: <laughs> okay, the other one is um, Julio Cesar Chavez, Greg Hagen. Yeah, is it Hagen? Hagen. Hagen. Um, Mexico City?
1: Mexico City, 135,000 people in attendance. Okay, that's just <laughs> nuts. It's, it's crazy. So I've
0: been to a Kentucky Derby, and I think there's 150,000 people there. Ooh. And I was all down in the infield, Ooh. and you just look around and, and everything, and, it, and it's intimidating. It's yeah. like,
1: wow. It's a sea of 135, people. 135,000 in the middle amazing. of the ring. It was amazing. It was amazing. So Estadio Azteca, a very large uh, soccer stadium, mm. and uh, in order to get in – um, there was a there's a moat around between the stands and the field.
0: There's a, okay. a
1: moat, and in the <sighs> moat there are guards with guns oh and God. German shepherds. Jesus. So no, you know, because to have whatever hundred thousand people storm the, the ring or so forth, that wasn't going to happen. I know we did a rehearsal. With Showtime, they had me in the ring announcing the fighters at the rehearsal, and there were like fifteen, twenty thousand people <laughs> at the rehearsal at twelve thirty in the afternoon because it was like a festival for everyone to show up, and uh, yeah, it was just amazing, a wonderful, great night. Um, you know, I, I tell the story that before the main event, I'm in the ring with Don King, and they had a laser show and a music show. You know, for the mm-hmm. moment, everything it was really well done. It was kind of moving. It was you know, mm. high quality. And you look around and there are like fires way up there where people were cooking their food. You, oh, you just would see, I saw this, and we're waiting in this music. Suck. And Don King, honestly, you know, man who's seen everything, kind of got misty-eyed and kind of crying. And I always tell the story that later <laughs> I realized he was counting the proceeds <laughs> with the number He's of counting people the gate. <laughs> <laughs> but it was yeah. really a great, oh, great event. Oh, man. Yeah. That's
0: unbelievable. Um, did you... Did I did I either hear hear you say or some um, Julio Cesar Chavez's nickname you just came up with and didn't even run a biome, him and you no. just called him El Grand Champion? El, El
1: Gran Campeón Mexicano? Yes, and
0: you didn't want to run that by him first, or no. you you made a purposeful plan yes. to just call him that? Yeah,
1: really? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I'm going to give credit to my father who, I, you know, I honestly don't remember it. I I think it was his idea. Hmm. I would give I would happily give credit to him because at the early stage of us uh, announcing together and Chavez working. My dad yeah. did some of his fights and I did some. I see. Yeah. If, if,
0: I think it's hard um, for just American boxing fans to understand just how important Julio Cesar Chavez was as a citizen oh, of yeah. Mexico. I mean, massive. His oh. fame
1: was... Uh, we talked about the the big fight in Mexico City And I had heard, before I was there, that he had a public workout someplace. And there were 10,000 people who showed up for that in some public arena. And he had to have a helicopter to take him away. You know, because he's such a hero, such an idol. And such a great fighter. And, you know, over 100 victories in his career. Uh, And for so long he was undefeated. And great, great fighter. And today, he's doing great. He's doing great today. The first Tyson one was
0: 90. Then that was like 93. So 96, Tyson has been convicted Mm. and is now out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did that give you any concern at the weigh-in that he had changed a person, that he wasn't going to be like respectful of the sport and and that he was a little bit of a loose cannon?
1: No, no, I I really didn't. Because when he was in prison, there were a number of interviews, and he mm-hmm. seemed he, he seemed quite focused, quite settled, quite centered. and um, you know, I had a chance to exchange greetings a little bit with mm. him. Um, and you know, his opponent. McNeely was not a uh, well-respected... You know, he Mm -hmm. he didn't possess a big threat. Mm. So didn't feel... Didn't have any sense of that at all. Felt like it might be another easy fight.
0: Did you, as a student of boxing, kind of compare him and Sonny Liston in that... Both in prison and then they came out and... Because I know the media tried to play off of that, but I didn't see it either. I saw Tyson (sighs) as... He wasn't the same fighter, but he didn't seem...
1: No, he... No, and here's... Something I want to tell you, before that he went to prison, Mm -hmm. he fought a second fight with Razor Ruddock. Mm. And it was in the summertime. I think it was June 26th or so. The next day on Sunday, he visits my dad, comes to our house. I'm, I'm living in the back house, and I get a call. There's a white limo outside, and it's Mike Tyson and Tommy Hearns. And so I run up, I see him in here, he knocks on the door, and there's Tommy and Mike Tyson. And they come in, my dad's in his robe, you know, ill, not, not doing well. And he sits in his chair, and here, the two of them, and Mike Tyson sitting in a small stool, looking up to my dad, calling him Mr. Lennon. Yes, sir, <laughs> no, sir. He wanted to talk about wrestling wow. and the history of boxing, and just wanted to make him feel good. And... Um, So there's a sweet side of Mike Tyson, which is, you know, the kindest man you can imagine. And so I I didn't have any personal fear of that Mm -hmm. or so, you know, because I I saw that side of him Mm. a lot. Um, And I don't know if I would relate him to Sonny Liston personally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. I know. I I just kind of remember reading that. And that was when I started to dig in a little and I thought, "Hmm." hmm. Okay, yeah, I didn't see. It. I didn't because, you, you know, you had firsthand knowledge. Like Sonny Lister was kind of a surly dude, yeah, for yeah. his own reasons. But it seemed like Tyson was almost more mellow.
1: Yeah, you know, Off and on two sides. Yeah. Mm. Two sides.
0: Um, the one I want to ask you about was '96 Tyson and Bruce Seldon, Las Vegas, MGM mm. Grand, um, and that of that is like Tyson wins in a minute fifty or something. Um, but that was Tupac Shakur's at at the fight, right? And then he gets into that altercation that fight in the casino and then later on that night he gets shot and killed did you first of all know who he was and that he was in in and around like was he one of the celebrities you might have introduced or anything that night
1: honestly i don't remember Mm. if it if it was in those days i would announce 25 celebrities Mm. i'd kind of i'd have two minutes to do it i'd have to get through it real quickly before they came back and Mm. and so i honestly don't remember uh, at this point if he was one that i introduced um my memory of that night is, uh, is you know, so far removed from all of that. Mm-hmm. But the altercations that occurred in the casino spread a lot, and and my recollection is after the fight, walking through the MGM Grand, and suddenly you would hear people screaming and running, you know, in in the the large you know aisle hallway, and just scatter, just scattering and going into the shops. To get mm. out of the center, and I would too. What the heck's going on? And you know that happened a couple times. It just seemed tense and dangerous. I went to dinner. I went to a steakhouse that night, and I'm in the steakhouse, and suddenly they're screaming, and everyone in the steakhouse goes under the tables. What? And, and so I'm under the table. I happen to be with Ferdy Pacheco at the time, and then down we're under the table. And there's another man. Ferdy introduces me. It's the former governor of Kentucky. Oh, hi, hi. How you doing? Under the <laughs> table. Under the table. Under the table in this steakhouse. You literally, met the governor. <laughs> hi, of Kentucky nice to meet under you. The <laughs> oh, and then wow. it passes. We go, and you know, I just leave. I'm not, you know, something. And and there are rumors. Oh, uh, a security stand fell, and that's what the bang. Oh, it was a champagne pop. Uh, you know, you would hear different things that would why people were running and so forth. Well, later, of course, you heard that the, there's so many more serious things wow. that occurred. Yeah, I ended up just going to the elevator up to my room just to get away from from all of that. But wow. uh, so that's the closest I came to any of that. But it was a very tense, dangerous-feeling night after the fight.
0: It's interesting that um, both of those, the Douglas fight and then, obviously, Tupac. Against, like Those have entered into the mm. cultural zeitgeist or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you were there at both of those because when I recently listened to a podcast about Biggie and Tupac and, and they just drew the whole line between it they dropped in your audio introducing Mike Tyson Yeah, right, yeah. it was yeah. kind of you know and I was like whoa <laughs> like I said Jeez almighty um, the next one only a year later Tyson Evander Holyfield which would have been the is that, first or the second well which one that went from the sound
1: and the fury to the bite fight is that two um, I can't remember the exact names, but of course the bite fight would have been their, their rematch. Their rematch. Um, the first one I remember distinctly people from Showtime being very concerned about the health of Evander Holyfield. He had a heart condition previously. Mm-hmm. He looked very mediocre against fighting Bobby Chez. And they just felt, they were so down on this fight, they thought, oh, this is just going to be terrible. And it ended up being such a great fight in Evander. It was a great fight. You know, beating him, mm-hmm. out bullying him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the rematch, the, uh, the bite fight, um, you know what crazy uh, 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 yeah uh, uh, you've ever, you ever seen anything like that no no no. not even in the lower level clubs no, amateur no. stuff no no to bite so hard that, that to, to bite a piece of his ear off and God to do it God. twice and there was a bit of a mystery twice. because we're sitting at ringside at this time they don't have the screens above for people to see replays and so forth sure. so we're sitting there and I see um, Holyfield leap up into the air and it's like what I've never seen that. Nobody so something that. happened, and then he, there's a bit of a mystery because he they they call the referee over who examines and sees something, but we really don't know.
0: So that's interesting because you don't necessarily have monitors. So those of us at home saw a much better view and are like, why aren't you stopping the fight? Like yes. So so he but he doesn't have he didn't see it. So is it who do he, you Mills Lane remember? Mills Lane was Mills Lane. the
1: referee and he took two points away. Okay. That's a pretty pretty big foul for biting for biting yeah and then next round proceeds and (laughs) he bit him again and Holyfield doesn't jump as high but he kind of you know you could see he responds and it was at the end of the round Holyfield's trainer walks over taps Mills Lane on the back and says come look and then they go ahead and stop the fight and then a kind of a riot in the ring ensues and then we're there for i don't know how long but the whole audience has no clue why the fight was stopped and i'm waiting like 10 because they had jim gray interviewing the two fighters they were replay and all this stuff but the whole crowd and the media is just banging on the ring saying what happened jimmy tell us what happened so it was a, a, kind what, of a what wild kind night of,
0: what's getting related to you you're just are you oh, i found out you're, at you're that leaning point. in and listening to mills lane talk to the
1: no, no. Uh, I went to Mills Lane and asked him personally. Okay. And, and Mark Ratner was the uh, the, the, the um, executive director. And so, yeah, bit him wow. in the ear twice. And so I found out, and I'm waiting to announce it. It took forever. So it was, it was a pretty wild night. Real in, wild. In, in, being there live. Yeah.
0: My goodness. Another one. Um, the, was it the first or the second Tyson Holyfield that the parachutist no, getting...
1: no, that was Razor Ruddick and, oh, and Holyfield. That was a different
0: fight. Razor Ruddick. So, yeah, the, the Wait, fan Were you there for that? Man.
1: I was not there for that. No, oh, okay. No. okay. My, that's got to be. Because
0: yeah. that, was, that was pretty well. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: wow. So, um, 2015. Mm. I remember, I think we were celebrating my wife Christine's um, birthday. And we're in Hermosa or something like that. But we made it a point and we all go. To watch uh, Mayweather Pacquiao. Mm. Now, this had been coming because they should have fought oh, yeah. years previous mm-hmm. and it had just been coming for a while. And I knew you were um, announcing, but did Mayweather, I mean, who had to have Michael Buffer, and he had to? Right. How did right. that get negotiated? Like yeah. Two, two announcers.
1: Well, I, I, um, I don't think it was that personal mm. that Michael and Buffer and I did it because it was a shared broadcast between HBO and Showtime. Okay. So I was the Showtime guy; he was the HBO guy, and then they had the announce crew, the broadcasters, some from each, from some from Showtime. I think it was Jim Lampley and mm. and Al Bernstein. You know, so right? they so, shared. Okay. They shared that. So I know it wasn't as personal um but it wasn't the first time we did Michael Buffler and I did it together we we had done it Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson the same HBO Showtime oh, okay. and then we did it years before Michael Carbajal and Chiquita Gonzalez and So
0: so okay so there's so, precedent for that Yeah and that was um uh, the hype around that fight oh. really transcended like across
1: It was huge and in fact they delayed the main event and uh, I'm talking to the guys from Showtime and they're like giddy they're saying we have to delay because we have so many Buys that are still coming in. We've <laughs> got to wait, and, and it was like, really? Wow! <laughs> you know, go. this is great. Well, let's so, go! Wow, so.
0: that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, like I, I, kind of felt like that fight was a couple of years late. Sure, you know, sure. Um, but it just took everybody to get there. Um, is there any other fights that stick out in your mind? Can Can
1: I mention sure. something about that fight? I want to talk mm-hmm. about Floyd Mayweather just for a mm-hmm. second. Super sharp, observant, bright guy. So we're in the fighter t- talent meetings where the fighters come in and talk to the the the, um, the talent and they mm-hmm. ask them some questions. How's training going? What do you got, What's your strategy? What do you think about what your opponent said mm-hmm. and so forth? So Manny Pacquiao comes in and there's a room now. This is so big. There's f- camera crews and there's you know a lot of people want to see things and I'm there too. And Pacquiao comes in and he gives his interview. You know, wonderful interview. I don't know if there are 35 people in the room or so <laughs> forth. He and his team leaves. And then a little bit later, Floyd comes in, and and he sits down, and he looks around the room, and he goes, who are you? (laughs) To you? No. Oh. To some guy. Okay. He says, who are you? And he says... What'd you crazy? And then people start to look at this guy, and it's the one guy in the room that does not have a credential to be there that wow. he didn't recognize. Mayweather. Now, you you know, to, to the presence of mind to be able to do that, that kicked him out, you know. Mayweather, But wow. for him to just do that, it just take control of the room and know what's going on, I've never seen anything like that. That's something. Yeah. She yeah. is.
0: Wow, okay, that shows you. Yeah, That guy was yeah. in charge of things, wasn't he?
1: He sure was. He's He sure was. He's been so nice to me, He's so complimentary. Every single time we meet, he mm. says, you know, only the best. You're the very best. And a good relationship with does him. Does
0: that make you uncomfortable at all when people um, compliment you and go, oh, you're the best? And, you know, that kind of thing. I think,
1: you know. Well, I take it in stride. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does not make me uncomfortable. I think people are showing their appreciation, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that. And that, you know, makes me feel good. You know, but I. You know i feel like i have the best job in the world you know i really do <laughs> i travel I, yeah. people are nice to me i you know uh sit down and watch the great
0: fights take place um any other fights but besides the ones i mentioned that kind of stick out either for odd reasons or the spectacle or anything
1: uh i think we mentioned you know many of them but you know Anything can happen in this this sport. Anything and everything <laughs> yes. does happen. That's, that's why we all. That's really, why we all
0: jump right back in it. We like um, it. the heavyweight division now. So um, it seems to me, I, I not following. I mean, I remember being a kid and certainly knowing who held the belt and everything. Mm. And then when the belt started to divide, it got a little tricky. Um, but now there's like Tyson Fury seems to have something going for him. Wilder, mm-hmm. um, Anthony old, Joshua I is Anthony also Joshua.
1: champion. Um, I think the heavyweight division is doing very well right now. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit tainted by some of the history of the different champions and champions mm-hmm. that weren't so strong and the different belts and so forth. It's kind of coming together, which is nice. I guess the one controversy would be Tyson Fury. He's, he's considered the lineal heavyweight champion or the ring champion. And that has mm. to do with the, pres- the the people going back to John L. Sullivan and who beat him and beat him. So he's the man who beat the man who beat the man going back. Is that Shannon Briggs, was he a lineal yeah, champion? Yeah, as well? he was. Yeah. I recently
0: met him. Oh, okay. He came by here. He's a friend of my sister in law's. Super nice guy.
1: And he was such he's such a character. Yeah, yeah. Let's he really the whole let's go let's champ. go champ. Oh, yeah, love yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah. But it, it goes back to that and there have been a couple of breaks where you have to chew, you know, the someone didn't defend their title. I see. And so you have so to decide who's champion. the best mm-hmm. out there. And it goes back to one of the Klitschko's and then Tyson Fury beat Klitschko. And that's how how he holds that. uh, Deontay Wilder is a terrific puncher, Mm. maybe the hardest puncher in the history of the sport. Mm. Uh, Wow, that's saying something. I mean, of his, you know, he's knocked out every opponent except for Tyson Fury. Knocked him out forty, one forty-two knockouts. I can't even remember. And one punch power, like you can't believe. So heavyweight, Anthony Joshua, super guy, great time. Are they in a? I thought I heard somebody say something about um, they're not worried
0: about having an undefeated record as much as uh, being able to make it, you know, so that it's, it's unified. It, it's like unified It's what people. Well,
1: I think that's the influence of MMA because in mm. MMA, you're in undefeated record doesn't mean as much. You can mm. have five losses in your career and be the best there is. And I think that's a good influence that fighters should fight each other, fight the tough fights, not try to protect a record. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's where we are with that. You're um, inductee of World Boxing and International Boxing Hall of Fames. Right. What's the difference between those two? World Boxing is no longer in existence. It Mm -hmm. was LA based. It was a terrific organization but it didn't last whether it's the funding or not international boxing organization based in canastota new york there's a, a hall of fame museum you can go there and mm. see casts of fists of the fighters and gloves uh, and wardrobes photos films i'd like that. a, a, wonderful, ah, like a, they have a parade oh, every summer good. every summer they they have that it's a it's a tremendous and that one is ongoing and, and quite respected
0: and and so you were inducted into that hall of fame did you um give a speech somebody present sure. you? all that stuff sure who presented I,
1: you oh um, no, I don't. <laughs> I think it was Sorry. my, I think it was my buddy Steve Farhood. Okay, um, that's. Uh, but it, you know it's a it's it's a whole long week where thousands of fans show up. They have parade. They have ceremonies, banquets. It takes oh, place, great. and it's a wonderful. If it's if you're a Boxy fan, you can't miss it. It's amazing. You've been married how long now? Twenty plus years. Twenty, yeah, plenty five plus years. Wow, yeah.
0: And then two boys. Two boys. Either showing
1: any inclination to carry on the, uh... so my older son is James the third, and no, he's a computer engineer. So that's the direction he's taken. I can't imagine doing that. My younger son is still in college, and I think he's Alexander. I think he's we'll see. Okay, a little young. He has other aspirations, and I didn't start until I of course you know that's fun. Had a path in life. Yeah. What
0: um if you had to say I'm going to ask you probably a couple questions where you. You know, whenever Coach Wooden was asked who um, was his best player, mm. he would always say, um, "Well, let me ask you who your best grandchild is."
1: <laughs> it's a good, you it's know, a good, Like he
0: say. he would say, "It's tough to answer, isn't it?" But <laughs> um, I'm going to ask him anyway. So what? And you could premise it by being the most skilled. But who 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 would stands out in your mind as the most skilled or the best fighter?
1: Or my favorite, if I could throw that in favorite. there too. Sure. And it's changed through the years. And you know that is definitely a a hard question to ask. So, but I've had my favorites and Alexis Arguello was one of them. He was Mm. so skilled, so dedicated. And I just loved him as a gentleman Mm -hmm. and and I got to know him. And so that was it. And then I got to the period of, of Chavez, Julio Cesar Chavez. Mm. And then I went to the period of Felix Trinidad, who I just thought he was an amazing fighter to watch and enjoyed. And, you know, um, I put Floyd up there also because... Now, a lot of people give give him a hard time because he doesn't punch as hard and he's defensive-minded. But I got to tell you, I would watch him fight these great, great fighters, future Hall of Famers, you know, world champions, and toy with them. Mm. Just make them look silly. You you don't do that unless you're fantastic. And so I was enthralled by the beauty Mm -hmm. of his ability. As he got to the heavier weights, he didn't carry the knockout power, Mm -hmm. but... I just think he's a an incredible, technically sound fighter.
0: Most unpredictable fighter, or uh,
1: Mike Tyson for sure. Because you didn't know which way. No, uh, he. There was a fight in in Scotland I did with Luce Avarice and he was so amped up, and he hurt Lou Savarese, and the referee jumped and decided to stop, and he was like. Throwing punches around, over geez. the referee and and it was scary. Even I saw this corner run up because wow. they knew he was like out of control. And then there are times that he's docile and you know whatever <laughs> or uh, you know. So he was it was it was uh, he was very unpredictable. Favorite promoter to work with? Okay, um, I'm going to have to say the, the the greatest promoter in Japan that that ever was is uh, Mr. Honda Honda mm. Honda Promotions. Um, you know, I could have said Don King because he's done a, a lot for my career, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know Dan Goosen locally here is a Ooh. great great mm-hmm. promoter and many others. But Mr. Honda, the level of hospitality he provides <laughs> is just unbelievable. Like what? Well, I mean, from the fine fine meals and 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 dinners to every detail. Provided for, and he's the biggest promoter Japan has ever had. Worked with Don King, Bob, all of them. He did the Tyson, you know, uh, fight with Buster Douglas. But the day that you're leaving into the car, he'll come to your hotel and make sure to wave goodbye. You know, shake your hand. Thank you very much. And as your car is pulling away, he'll wave to you. I mean. Yeah. He didn't have to do he that. He has an amazing reputation. That's pretty so, cool. Yeah, I love it. And I love Japan. So That's pretty cool. Um, favorite city or country? Oh, you know. Well, okay. So Las Vegas is great because everything's set up for sure. great fights. It's local professionals and everything but I do I do like Tokyo very much mm. um, the fans in England are amazing the chanting the singing and is just terrific but uh, Tokyo does stand out it's most unusual
0: your voice you are were voice or current voice of EA sports um, yeah I was it's been a, a,
1: a while back that, that we did the uh, knockout Kings mm. and that was a great great opportunity love doing it
0: did you do that in like in a studio and yeah. then, um you just had to call out. You, you, were, are you just the introductions? I didn't look. I didn't look at anything. Yeah, image.
1: yeah. I flew to Orlando to their studio. Oh, cool. And it was just two long days of announcing the same <laughs> name and a you know winner by way of knockout or winner by you know unanimous decision. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was a it was quite an effort. That,
0: that's such an interesting um, situation, though, because you enter into the lives of so many people that might never go to a fight, might never. Have known who you were.
1: And I get that sometimes. Oh, you were the voice of this and so forth. And I didn't realize it at the time. But obviously, I know now how important in big gaming is. Uh, And I mean,
0: a good for instance is like Madden. People generally don't know he was a coach. Yeah. They go, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. Madden. Or your Madden Madden rating is so important. And I'm like, yeah, he was a good coach. (laughs) (laughs) He was a very good coach. All right. um, We're coming down the stretch here. All right. You got some rapid fire questions.
1: Okay. <clears throat> your first pet. Uh dog, Candy. Mm. First car. Plymouth Valiant 1963, rebuilt the engine myself. Wow.
0: Favorite sports team as a kid. Uh, Dodgers. Uh your nickname as a kid. Lemonhead. <laughs> Did you have
1: that too? I didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. I, didn't know that. <laughs> I just always know you said Jamie. <laughs>
0: uh favorite board game.
1: Oh Probably uh Monopoly.
0: Uh favorite uh, main dish? Right now? Mm-hmm. Maybe sushi. Okay. Uh favorite dessert.
1: Uh Toffee Pudding. Oh. Wow.
0: that's a first on that one. That's okay. good. Uh favorite movie? Uh
1: Schindler's List.
0: Favorite musical group?
1: Um, The Beatles. Favorite author? Hmm. Um Probably Steinbeck. Hmm. Um, favorite professional athlete? Uh, boy with Kobe just dying. How can you? How can yeah. you deny that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Where did you meet your wife? I was best man. She was maid of honor at a wedding wow. in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. What was your first date? Besides my first date with my wife.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that counts, does it?
1: Uh, no, it does not count. Um, I think. Uh, I think uh I went to her place and we went to dinner. That was that was it. Right. She lived in California and, and so did I, but the marriage was the wedding was in Oklahoma. Okay. Um what's your favorite word? Um it is uh phlegm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell phlegm? That was <laughs> solid. <laughs> it's a Ph but you know. Um and do you have a favorite quote? Oh um no, I'm, I'm not going to – I don't go there, but if, it would have to do with po- being positive if, mm-hmm. if I were to choose one.
0: Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're the note um, – the record of note for 80s, great 80s television, mm-hmm. if not the greatest of all time. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to give you three different of the great shows, and you get to pick one and then take the quiz. All right. So there's the uh, CBS 72 to 81 Emmy and Peabody winner, The Waltons. Okay. There is a groundbreaking drama from Bruce Paltrow, The White Shadow. Okay. Or there's the multiple number one show of all time, perhaps, multiple award winner on CBS Magnum PI. The one, of course, from the 80s.
1: Man, you know, I was in college a lot in the 80s. Hmm, Which means you watched all of these. I did not watch too many of them. (laughs) But let's go with the Waltons. Okay, I like it. Yeah, it's good. A, a, uh,
0: I like it. All
1: right, how lower many, your expectations here. Uh, okay.
0: How many uh, children did seven you? seven children? <clears throat> you're off and running for bonus. <laughs> so you're still undefeated, but for bonus, can you name
1: them? <laughs> not a chance. No. Okay. No. Not okay. a chance.
0: Um, do you know what uh, Grandma and Grandpa's names uh, were? Oh,
1: no, I don't. But I think they primarily went with Grandma and Grandpa. So they did. That's it,
0: Esther and Zeke. But okay, all right. Um, do you know whose parents they were? As a bonus question, no, not a chance. They're Johns. They're, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So here's this is a tough one. John Boy is a journalist, and he got the he won he got to accompany these news reporters to witness an event, mm-hmm. and it was a disaster. Yeah. Do you know what he saw?
1: It was the uh, world's largest volley, uh <laughs> backyard volleyball tournament. It was not. No. <laughs> well, I Really? He should have came to cover that for yeah, the Blue Ridge yeah. Chronicle. It would have gone big.
0: He saw the Hindenburg crash. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. But I, you know what? I'm going to give you points just for picking the Waltons because it's the first <laughs> time that's ever been picked. <laughs> hey, this was, um, I'm really happy you came. Yeah, that's um, great. Not only because you're family um, and we're so proud of you, but I mean, you've lived this um, unbelievable life through mm. through the sport and getting you to represent mm. and, and out there man. doing it. Yeah, it's Oof. fantastic. really am. And it's great for us. Thank you, Danny Thanks, Denny. Jamie. It's great to be with you. Great to be with you. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is supported by the AAU. Find a local event and join at aausports.org. And remember, you can catch your favorite amateur sports live stream, replays, and highlights at ballertv.com. Sports Stories, along with East Bay, supports the Heroes Movement, a nonprofit that bridges the gap from mental or physical therapy to getting strong again through strength and conditioning workouts. This free service is available for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces. Visit heroesmovementusa.org for more information. Sports Stories, along with thousands of people across the country, also supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation. A nonprofit that provides traumatized children with new belongings and new hope. Learn more at mystuffbags.org. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories Inc. and is available on Apple Podcasts and YouTube or wherever you listen and watch. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. It really helps spread the word. You can find all our social media links, archives, and other info on our website at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Special thanks to the John R. Wooden Course and Wooden's Wisdom. Original music for Sports Stories is courtesy of Lennon Music Productions. Original images by Sienna Lennon Photography. Sports Stories is produced by Christine Jimbo and Marley Rice. Sports Stories is edited by Bob McCall. Additional staff include Ray Castro, Teresa Dolan, Jake Downey, Carlos Haro, and Buck Magic Lennon. Check it out, Buck!